0: Today, we come to the last message in our series about love. And it will be perhaps the most challenging of all that we have yet considered. Uh, Today, we'll think about the challenge of loving your ex. Why this at the end of a series like this? And why on this particular day? I found myself asking that question this week Uh, behind. Uh, The the messages are decided on months in advance. This was back in the fall. I submitted these, and they were on the schedule. But Wednesday is the day that I write my sermons all day. Uh, Do you remember what Wednesday was this week? Valentine's. Valentine's. What a great day to spend the entire day focusing on loving your ex. It was not a romantic beginning to the day, to be honest. Uh, There are two reasons why this is the right thing to talk about together in church, and I want to tell you both of them right up front. Okay, the first is that there is not a single person in here who will not at some point face real challenges because of a relationship that ends badly. I don't just mean romantic relationships. Uh, The truth about exes is when you hear that word, you think most likely of someone that was married and isn't any longer. There's a divorce behind them and now there's a new relationship with someone who used to be a spouse. They are an ex. And that is an obvious form of what it means to be an ex. And even if you're not divorced, and I know that many of you will have been divorced, there's someone close to you who has been. More than half of us will be touched almost directly, either because we have or will live through that experience or someone in our immediate family will, a a parent, a sibling, a child, Uh, when that happens, there's a new challenge on the horizon. And, and, And one of the reasons to talk about loving your ex here together is we want to follow the path that Jesus invites us on, which is the path of loving not just some, but all. And that's what we'll see, especially this morning, Uh, Even if you don't have an ex-spouse, you will have someone who used to be easy to love, but now they're easy to hate. Have you got someone like that this morning? Go ahead, show me you've got that, right? Maybe it was a friend who became an enemy because they betrayed you. They're an ex-friend. Maybe it was a set of colleagues at work and and it used to uh, be a great environment, but then it became toxic and you had to leave. They're your ex Coworkers or boss, uh, maybe it's a community that you used to be a part of, uh, maybe you're here at Renaissance because the church that you were at became a difficult place and now that's that ex-church, ex-pastor, ex-community of faith. Uh, the truth about all of us is we will have right now some form of an ex and what I'm going to ask for you to do as we learn together this morning is to let that person or that community be in your mind. Uh, The first reason to talk about loving the one who's easy to hate is that, this is from my own experience as a pastor, there is untold pain and misery that is perpetuated in the world because of our immature responses to the people who've hurt us. I've seen it uh, over and over again. And one of the reasons that is perpetuated is the church tends to be slow to to address the love that we're even called to have for our exes. And so I wanna change that this morning. But listen, here's a second reason why this is worth talking about. I'm not a pioneer in this regard. Jesus himself taught very directly to those who would listen about how to love the people you would much rather hate. He taught about loving your enemies. Some of you may be familiar already with his teaching there. We're gonna take our time with that this morning in hopes of finishing out strong in our consideration of what love is like. Because the truth about all of us is we'll have someone we'd rather hate, but God himself in Christ will teach us that we're called to love. And here's what I want you to do. Two things before we begin. The first is going to be challenging. I want you to let your mind be filled now with that person who is an X of some form or another. It could be an ex-spouse, it could be an ex-family member. Uh, You're not close to them anymore because of who they were. Uh, Whatever ex there is in your life, would you let that person come into your mind? Uh, Full disclosure here, some of you know this about me. In 1996, I was married and that relationship ended in 2000. Only someone who's been through a divorce knows how hard that is. Some of you know, I know, some of you don't, but that's me. So you let that person come into your mind and I'll be honest, when I let all of that complex come into my mind, I feel bad about how hard it's been, okay? So I'm with you. You let that person come into your mind and now please listen. We are going to listen to Jesus, not me. We're gonna listen to Jesus, all right? I'm gonna try my best to help us hear him. But the reason it's good for you, know, for you to know that we're gonna listen to Jesus is he loves you perfectly. And everything he says... Every word that Jesus gives, the ones that are easy to experience as encouraging, as well as the ones which are challenging. And this morning we're going to listen to Jesus' challenge. They're all meant for your benefit, every one of them. Okay, Jesus always spoke words for your benefit. So we're going to let that person be in our minds and we're going to listen to Jesus, who is the Lord. He is, and He's the Lord of love. Okay, and we're going to hear from Him about how to love. Matthew chapter 5, this is right in the midst of a long block of Jesus' teaching. In verse 43, here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus opens the subject of love by first of all, acknowledging that everyone who's listening to him will have already heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor, Uh, everyone that was listening to Jesus would have heard that. When Jesus taught, uh, it was well known that God's commands in Leviticus taught that the most important thing was to love God and to love your neighbor. Jesus himself was well known for teaching this. He summed up the entire law. He said everything that matters to God, the most important thing in God's way is love, that you should love God, let him love you and love others as you would love yourself. So this was not a surprise to anyone there that they should love their neighbors. Incidentally, I hope that if you've been at Renaissance in these weeks past, it is true of you that you've heard that you shall love your neighbor. Yes? Yeah. Uh, The people who are close to you are people that God wants you to love. We started weeks ago with yourself. God wants you to love you so that you can receive his love. And then he wants you to pass it on to the people who are close to you. The people who you know in your own heart, they are people that I should love. Uh, your siblings, uh, if you have them, your friends, you should love them. You know that. If you have a spouse or if you have children, you know deep down, I should love them. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbors. That part is easy. How about the second saying that Jesus uh, speaks there? And you shall hate your enemy. Have you heard that said? Now I'm asking you, is it a surprise to you to think that most people generally think you should hate your, na- or your enemies, your neighbors if they're enemies? <laughs> uh, before we go further, I want you to know that when Jesus spoke, he talked to real people, uh, people who live in the same world that you and I live in. And wh- whatever people had heard, the truth about the world we live in is that there are many people that we'll encounter and it makes sense for us to love them, but then for all of us, there will be others who we experience in our lives, and it will make sense for us to hate them. Can you admit that? That it's just totally natural for us to put these people in this circle of those who we're ready to learn about loving, because we want to, we want to work at it, we want to be loving to them, but then given what's behind us, uh, some of us, it will be second nature immediately to think of certain people to put in the other circle, the circle where we're free to hate them. And when Jesus spoke, he knew that common sense tells people that there are some that you love and others who you hate. You hate your enemies because they are your enemies. That's what you do with them. That was common sense in Jesus' day. It wasn't only common sense. It was also the wisdom that came from the philosophers that shaped the mindset for hundreds of years before Jesus and still does to this day. You know, the Greek myths, Homer, the the classics in Homer's view. uh, uh, It was a virtue to love your friends so much that you hated the enemies of your friends. It was a mark of a hero to be fiercely against enemies. And it wasn't just in classical literature. You know that in Jesus' day, it was religiously sanctioned to hate your enemies too. If you've read the Old Testament straight through, you'll have come through a few passages that make it seem like you should hate your enemies, won't you? In Jesus' day, there were sects that had canonized hatred for the outsider. Uh, In Qumran, it was a part of their official doctrine. Love the sons of light, hate the sons of darkness. You have heard it said that you should love your neighbor, but also that you should hate your enemy. That's the environment that Jesus was speaking into. And I would say we would have to be pretending if we didn't admit that there are just some folks that we feel deep down inside that it makes sense for us to hate them. Let that person, those people, come into your mind again for a moment. The person who used to be easy for you to love, but now is really easy for you to hate. It might be someone who's in your family still, or someone who used to be in your family. It might be someone who was in the church that you used to go to, or the church that you come to. It might be someone from work or school, someone that it's just so easy and natural to hate. With that person in your mind, Jesus says, you you know that everyone, everywhere you look, says there are some people to love and other people to say. But then Jesus goes on to say this. Look at what he says in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, many of us will Be unsurprised by this saying because we've heard it before, but that means our ears are not open to how utterly strange and absurd what I just said out loud actually is. Jesus here says something that is unprecedented. It's ridiculous. It's completely unacceptable culturally, and it makes no sense religiously either. Love your enemies. Why would you do that? We're too quick to accept it because we've sort of heard that that's what Christians are supposed to be like. But if you pause here for a moment, listen, the person who is against you, the person who is mean through and through, the person who is right now sitting and thinking about how to make your life more miserable. Is that too far to go? (laughs) Have you ever been that person for someone else? Let's be honest. Maybe even during like a church service, when the the subject of enemy comes up, you start to think about that person. And before you know it, you're not listening to the preacher anymore. Your mind is fantasizing about how awesome it would be if that person were turned into a newt or something like that. (laughs) Here Jesus, listen now, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to have enemies. He had personal enemies. He knows what it's like to have aggressors who are strategizing on how to ruin him. He knows that. He knows how sensible and natural it is for every human being to recoil at the thought that they should love somebody in particular. He knows that too. He knows that God's people had good reason to react with hatred against their enemies. He knows all about that. And now listen, he also knows exactly what's happening in your heart in this moment because he knows every wrong that has ever been done against you. And as much pain as it has caused you, you have to trust this, he, he also himself bears that pain too. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus... When he became a true human being, he experienced every kind of misery and pain so that he could empathize with us when we ourselves were suffering. If, if there's anything true about the omniscience of God, that God knows everything, one thing is sure, he knows every hurt that ever has come to your heart. He knows it, as if it happened to him too. And still, he says unambiguously, unequivocally, without any hesitation or hedging, You shall love your enemy. If it's easy in your mind to do that, you haven't heard what Jesus said, you should love your enemy. Uh, Let me clarify something. Uh, If you've been here throughout this series, I hope this will be review to you. But if you're here for the first time, when Jesus speaks of love, he's not talking about a feeling. Do you remember my saying that in the past? That's very important to remember because it's easy to forget because of how common uh, in our own way of speaking, love is the feeling that makes you go buy an expensive box of chocolates and a bunch of way, way overpriced flowers instead of a steak, which is a much better uh, investment. (laughs) You can't eat roses. You see what I mean? We 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 feel, we have the wrong idea about love. Loving enemies does not mean feeling a certain way about them. How much better the world would be if we learned not to let our feelings guide our actions, but instead our decisions as mature men and women. And no matter how young you are, you can already get on the path of choosing not to let your feelings be the things that always guide you, but rather what you know is right. And here comes Jesus, the one who loves everyone. And he says with his word, love your enemies. And now again, he's not talking about a feeling first. He's talking about a decision to be benevolent toward, to seek the well-being of the other to do what is within your power. And of course, there are plenty of things that are not within your power. And Jesus is fine with you letting go of those things. But what is within your power to do for the sake of lifting rather than pushing down? If your person, if you're thinking of someone now, you think, I can't do anything at all but stay away. Fine, that's okay. That's love then, stay away. But what we cannot avoid is what is utterly clear here, and that is that Jesus, the one who we want to follow if we're going to be Christians, is telling us that we have to love our enemies. What would it look like, and, and why would anyone do it? Jesus continues, and his teaching helps us see answers to those things. Look, look at what he says after uh, this bombshell, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, persecute is a very active word. It means someone who's actively aligning their power to harm you. Pray for them, Jesus says. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This this is going to take some attention here. He's going to give us a foundation for how we can actually love people who are inclined to hate. Listen, for he that is God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, Jesus is a, a, a masterful teacher. He has a very complex and incredibly challenging thing to say, and so he goes to the simplest things, sun and rain. The sun comes up every day, Jesus says, and it shines on people who are good and people who are bad. God's the one who created the sun, and so it's his hand that brings it up, and don't you see, listen, that God is indiscriminate in his way of shining the sun? He doesn't just shine it on some people and then hold it back from others. That's not the way God operates. If you are going to be a child of his, can you operate in a different way? That's what Jesus is asking the rain. We might be inclined to think that rain is always a negative thing. In this environment, most certainly it's not. They needed rain in order for their crops to grow. Again, the sun and the rain are both images of God's indiscriminate benevolence. He lets the rain fall on the field of the man who is good so that his food can grow. He lets the rain fall on the man's field who is evil so it also can grow. What Jesus is doing is laying this foundation for the ethical challenge he's giving to us, which is, otherwise too great for us. And it is the foundation of God's way. If you want to be a child of God, then you must follow after the path of your heavenly father. And and this is a path of unconditional benevolence. God is indiscriminately good to those who are bad as well as to those who are good. If you want to be his child, you must do the same. Do you see the foundation? What does it look like to love them? It's in that first phrase there. Pray for those who persecute you. Imagine that person again. And now imagine, and what Jesus means by prayer is simple. Imagine bringing them before God in your heart when it's just you there in the quiet of your own space with God there, and you are bringing them before God in your heart. It will not do to pray that God gives them ingrown toenails. That's not... If you're praying for their downfall, uh, this sounds funny, right? But there are prayers in the book of Psalms where the the person praying is asking for the destruction of enemies. It's there. Uh, It's okay to feel like that. It most certainly is. That's how you feel. But here comes Jesus saying, no, you're gonna bring that other person before God in your heart and you are going to ask God to bless them. You are gonna be there with your heavenly father who is benevolent to you and that enemy of yours, that ex. And you are gonna say to God something good on their behalf. Does that seem really hard? For some of us, it will be. Yet Jesus understands that. You might be thinking in this moment, I'm just beginning to to learn to pray for people who are good to me, and this is just too much, and maybe it is. Uh, Jesus anticipates that in what he says next. This is verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others do not even the Gentiles do the same? Here Jesus brings up two different individuals, the tax collector and the Gentile, to set before his listeners a type, a kind of love that is the most ordinary kind that anyone can imagine. It's the kind of love that is extended on, only to those from whom love has already been received. Jesus wants us to notice how this is the way it ordinarily goes with our love. We give it to the people who love us. We withhold it from the people who do not love us. We greet the people who are kind to us, but we don't say anything to the ones who are unkind to us. This kind of back and forth exchange, what Jesus wants us to see is that when you really dwell on it, it's not actually good for anything at all. Stay with me for a moment. This kind of love is is very simply a response to what has been given. And if that's all we have in the world, imagine yourself here, if the only time you loved was when someone loved you back, do you know what would happen over time to the level of love in the world if that's how we operated? Think about it. Because you forget that someone loved you back and then the level of love in the world goes down a little bit because it's only just like an echo bouncing back and forth. And eventually the noise It crowds in, it drowns it out, and pretty soon, nobody's loving anyone else. But what Jesus is calling us to do is different than that. It's not reactive. It's a proactive decision to be benevolent even and especially where it is not deserved in the other person. And now I don't wanna take away any of, of the sting or the challenge of Jesus' words here he really does mean that you should think of the person who's easy to hate, and then in your mind, unlike the tax collector and unlike the Gentile, ask, how can I do for that other person something which is good? How can I seek their well-being without the thought of what it will cost me or what I'll get from it? How can I be unconditionally benevolent toward that other? If you are a person who's lived through a messy divorce, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry even to bring it up and ask you to imagine loving that other person like that. But may I blame Jesus? Can I blame Jesus? Is that wrong? (laughs) If you're a person who has a friend who was a good friend, but then turned and became a betrayer, can I ask you with Jesus to think about how you might love them? Uh, the workplace that you used to be in, uh, the church community that you were a part of. I know how hard it is, and I know that Jesus knows even better than I do how hard it is. And that's why he adds this last saying, which at first is murky, but I want you to stay with me. He finishes his teaching on loving your exes by saying in verse 48, "'Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect.'" The word perfect here in Greek, it means something more like complete, lacking in nothing, totally mature, and what Jesus is acknowledging here is that the call and the adventure of striking out and trying to love even your enemy is the kind of love which is perfectly mature. It is totally complete. He knows he's asking you for the pinnacle of achievement that you should strive to love your enemies. And the reason he adds, as your heavenly father is perfect, is that he means to tell you the one and only place where you'll ever be able to love like this. As your heavenly father means in the same way that your heavenly father loves, that is the way you are going to love. And that means, listen now, that means that the love you're called to have for your enemies is truly 100% unconditional because that's what God's love is like. And the only way you can ever love that other person, it is, first of all, when you're willing to let it have nothing to do with them because if you look at them, you're not going to do anything but hate them. Here, secondly, it's not when you turn back to yourself and look to yourself that you'll be able to do it, thank goodness. If you look to yourself, will you be able to love that enemy? Yes or no? No, you won't. You won't. And if you think you can, you haven't got the kinds of enemies that many of us have. Amen. (laughs) Right? We don't need to look at that other person or even ourselves. Here, Jesus is telling us that if we look at our heavenly father, then we'll be able to do it. And here's why. Listen now. This is the heart of it. Because the perfection of God's love is that it comes to even you personally in the very moment that you personally don't deserve it. You, You must accept that. Maybe before I tell you that you must accept it, you must hear this. Please listen, because this is one of the largest misunderstandings in all of the history of the church. The story of God's love for you is that it has come to you when you were a red-blooded murderer of Jesus Christ himself. If that sounds like I'm putting it too strongly, I don't know how else to put the truth that the Bible proclaims, which is that it was our sin personally that held him there on the cross. And God's attitude toward his enemies is perfectly displayed in the prayer that Jesus himself prayed while he was being nailed to the cross, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's another way of saying, Jesus Christ prayed for us while we were yet his enemies. Do you see that? And that's just the decision that God has made. Whatever you believe about it for now, I want you to understand that you don't know the first thing about Jesus if you don't understand that the central message of Christian faith is that in Jesus, God has decided to give himself for people who were against him in order to rescue them. In short, in Christ, God has loved his enemies. And you're one of them and so am I. Here's how it's put in Romans 5. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, that is Paul's way of saying, listen, get this straight. You were an enemy of God, and he decided to be a friend of yours, even though it cost him the life of his son. He goes on, much more surely than now that we have been justified by Jesus' blood... We will be saved through him from the wrath of God. That's his way of saying, even though your way of being in the world had warranted God's wrath toward you, his decision was to let his own blood be spilled in Jesus for you because he's determined to love you even though you are the person who would be in the circle that he would be free to hate. He's decided to love you and that's who God is. Just so there's no ambiguity, he continues if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, we will be saved through his life. Anyone who wants to get on the path of following Jesus has to first of all accept his love for his enemies, and that includes each one of us. And if we'll do that, and I I invite you to do that. Now, if you've done it before, renew that decision in your heart right now to accept God's love for his enemies in you and then be ready to walk on the path of love. If you've never done it before, if you've never in your heart said, I will receive God's grace for me in Jesus and I'll let him love me and I'll walk now as a disciple of his, do that right now now. Say it in your heart. God, I'm ready to receive your love for this enemy of yours. I'm ready to be cleansed by your blood and made new again. Now I'm ready to be on the path of loving everyone you asked me to love, even my exes. If you would do that right now, I promise you that God will give you everything you need to be perfect in this regard, in in love of your enemies as he himself is perfect. And then you're ready to go the next step of taking your your own steps toward loving the people who you'd rather hate. Uh, will you take those steps with me? Okay, because I've got four of them and they're on a little card that you've got, all right? If you got a card when you came in, uh, you'll see Jesus teaching on one side uh, from Matthew and then beneath it, this heading, how to love an X." And I've got it as an, an X because Every one of you has an ex. Even if you don't think of it uh, just as a divorce, you've got someone that's hard to love. There are four little things there and I want to close with these four because I want this to be practical. Uh, The way that you're gonna love an ex first is you are going to cultivate love, okay? Here now, I'm thinking of you personally and you can let that person be out of your mind for a moment. Do you know that you can cultivate hate in your heart? Do you know that? Uh, Imagine like like this: imagine hate is a little seed because someone did something that is hateful. And let's be honest: all of us have been the victims of some hateful action. You can take that event, the memory of it, and you can bury it in your heart like a a seed is buried in fertile soil. And then every time you play it over again in your mind, it's like you're putting a little bit of water on that seed. Uh, Every time you imagine that person and let your mind go again and again to every bad thing about them. It's like putting some fertilizer there on that seed. Every time you fantasize about, you know, some miserable thing happening to them, you do it, right? Am I the only one? Please help me out. I feel lonely now, right? (laughs) Then you're cultivating hate. And it's going to make a groove in your heart that makes it easier for you to hate everywhere. And so you're not going to do that. You're going to cultivate love instead. Here's step one, ready? Put them out of your mind and picture God with the most gracious and benevolent gaze looking at you as, as his beloved daughter, as his beloved son. Picture that, you're free to picture it. And now picture God saying, all I want today is the same thing that I wanted yesterday and it's exactly the same thing that I want for you tomorrow and it is for you to remember how deeply I love you before you think of anything else Picture that and now let that X come into your mind and picture them there too. And God knows how hard it is, but God looks at you and says, please, let's wait and cultivate some love there just for a moment. Think of some good thing. Trust me that I love them too. That's the first step. You're gonna cultivate love. The second step is that you're gonna pray. You're gonna pray for them. You're in your mind now with God there and them there. And this is what Jesus taught directly. We've already talked about this, but you're gonna practice this. You're gonna practice bringing all of of what's in your heart about that person to God. Maybe you're gonna start by saying, God, you know the hatred I have for that person. Forgive me and would you please, God, take it away and then just try one positive request for them. Just one. Bring it to God. Jesus tells you you should do this. Uh, It's quite plain uh, throughout Jesus' way in in his direct prayer for enemies from the cross. Some of you will know about the moment that one of Jesus' followers, Stephen, was stoned to death in Acts, the first Christian martyr. You remember what he did while he was being stoned? He prayed for his enemies. You're gonna let that come into your mind. You are going to want to retaliate. I know it. I know it because I know this experience too, right? You're gonna wanna say some mean thing. You're gonna wanna plan some uh, response with your son-in-law. You're going to want to get him, right? Don't do that. Pray. That's the second thing. The third thing you're going to do is you are going to speak kindly. And this is so practical, but it is so important. The Bible is filled with wisdom about how important it is for you to keep watch over how you use your tongue. You know this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Do you know how how awfully inaccurate that is? It's not just because when someone says something mean, it hurts the person uh, about whom it's said, it's also because it actually hurts you to say mean things. It does. It turns your heart even more toward hate every time you utter a mean thing. If you don't have anything nice to say, my grandmother used to say this to me, don't say anything at all. Did anyone else's grandmother say that to them? Grandmothers are the best. It's true. Just don't do it. You're going to want to, if you've been divorced, you're going to want to tell your kids about how awful their dad is or their mom is. Don't do it. You're going to want to get together with your friends and just list all of the awful things they've done. Please, please don't. If they're doing that to you right now because you're not with your children and they are, okay, pray. But don't speak wickedly. Don't. I'm pleading with you. I have listened to hundreds of children whose lives are irreparably damaged because their parents can't keep their mouths quiet. So please don't do it. And even if it's not an ex-spouse, if it's an ex-friend, whatever, here, Ephesians 4.29 is so perfect here. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building up so that your words bring grace to all who hear them. Let that be a test in the way you speak. Is this going to be grace? Is it gonna bring grace to somebody else? If no, don't say it. Will this build up? If no, don't say it. If you're thinking about that person and then saying, I don't have anything positive to say, fine, go out into the woods and scream with all of the swear words you could ever imagine as loud as you can. (laughs) If you swear, will the trees hear it? You know that old thing, if a tree falls in the woods, the trees won't hear it. Curse your brains out about that person, but not in the hearing of another. Speak kindly, okay? And then here's the third one. Look forward. You will love that person who you want to hate and you will become a person who loves when you stop looking back and start looking forward. And, and, and listen again, please. Some relationships with exes are done and gone and that's it. They're behind you forever. You're not going to have any more interaction with that person. Okay. But you will look back on that and, and, and you'll be there again. And, and you're not gonna love. That's gonna cultivate hate in you. You're gonna look back at the things they did. Do you have a long string of emails that are nasty that they wrote? Delete them. Or do you have the cruel text messages that you can go back to so you justify your hatred of them? Get rid of them. Stop looking back. Uh, you know, burn those old letters that they sent that are nasty. Burn them. Get rid of all that stuff. Stop looking back there. And instead, look forward. And here, I want to call you to obedience to Jesus by telling you to look forward. Here's what it is, you ready? Jesus is on the path of loving his enemies. And when he says to you, you're gonna love your enemies, he's asking you to look ahead to where he is. That's all it is, okay? Love is the invitation to get in line behind Jesus, who's loved you and everyone else. And he's saying, come with me. And in in order to come with him to look forward, you know what you need to do? You need to forget what what is behind. And in in God's name, I invite you to forget what's behind and look forward to what's ahead. Would you accept that invitation? It's a good invitation, right? It's a great invitation to have. Here, these are the words uh, that come from Isaiah 43. God spoke uh, through that prophet in this way. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. That's a way of saying, this is what God says, the one who can do what's utterly impossible. Do not remember the former things or the things of old. Just forget about it. That's what God's saying. Forget it. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Is there some hope in your heart for something better down the road? is there? Is there? Don't ignore that hope. That's God's spirit saying to you, I'm gonna do something new. I'm gonna give you something new. I am. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I, this is a promise, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's let's go to God now with our own wilderness and our own desert hearts and ask for that way. Would you pray with me? God, those of us who have been harmed and hurt, Those of us who have in our past exes who make it easy to hate, we have have wilderness and desert in these hearts of ours. And what we need is for you to make a way through the wilderness, for you to bring water to the desert. I ask now that by the power of your spirit, which is active and alive, that you would come into our hearts and take away the former things, the memories of them, the pain. Help us leave them behind. And then God, would you give us hope that would draw us forward on the path that you are already walking in Jesus, the path where we are free to love even our exes, to give the kind of unconditional benevolence that you've given to all, to those people who have harmed and hurt us, our enemies in Jesus' name. We need your power to do it. We've heard your call. Give us the strength and the resolve, and the will to love our enemies now. And we ask for this in Jesus' name, who, thank God, loved every one of us, even when we were enemies. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.